Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Angle on Producers, the show where we take you behind the scenes and into the shoes of producers across all corners of the entertainment industry. As always, I am your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, thank you for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and tag a friend, tell a friend, help spread the word. Everything helps to build our community if you don't already subscribe to the newsletter, please head on over to angleonproducers.com for that sign up link, or you can find it hyperlinked in the Instagram bio thingy. As you guys may have noticed, there's been not a ton of episodes recently. I have been on production in a documentary. So my time has been admittedly limited, um, but hopefully in the next month or two, I'll be getting back into your ears with a little bit more frequency. This week on the show, we are doing something a little bit different. Over the weekend, we received the exciting news that a tentative deal has been reached between the WGA and the studios. And in between the rejoicing and celebrating, I found myself wondering what impact, if any, this new contract will have on my fellow indie producers. You see, a couple of weeks back, I stumbled upon an IndieWire article where previous podcast guest Laura Lewis and her colleague Brent Emery were interviewed about what role producers play in the AMPTP. So naturally, I invited them on so we could dive deeper. Together, we explore why there's a change.org petition floating around to remove that second P from the AMPTP and the need and value of the newly formed Producers Union, which is currently 300 members strong. You may be wondering, but Carolina, isn't the Producers Guild of America a union for producers, the PGA? Well, it pains me to reveal that the PGA, despite using the word guild, is actually a nonprofit trade organization that does not have collective bargaining power, despite a long history of lawsuits and lobbying in an effort to be recognized. A 1974 lawsuit, which I'll link in the show notes for those wanting to go even deeper, declared producers as management, which has prevented producers from unionizing. Now, Hollywood has changed tremendously since 1974, and while actors, directors, and writers, and everybody else has labor unions behind them forcing studios to keep up with the times, indie producers have no protections, and thus, we have been left behind. Independent producers are with their films from the cradle to the grave, and yet, they have been completely left out of the conversation as Hollywood has evolved into a drastically different business in the last 50 years. So much so that, a reminder, no independent producer had a seat at the table or was involved in any of the negotiations with the unions this past summer. It is time to rebrand. It is time to rewrite the narrative of what an independent producer means in today's market. So we'll hear from Laura, who, as you may recall, is the CEO and founder of Rebel Media. She was on the show back in December 2021. She has over 20 years of experience in film and TV development, production, strategy, sales and financing. She produced Mr. Malcolm's List for Bleecker Street Media and Universal Pictures and is an EP on Hulu's hit television series, Tell Me Lies, which is about to start production on its second season. Brent Emery, who is new to the show, is a Sundance award-winning producer with over 20 years of international film strategy and business consulting experience. He's currently a partner at Resonate Entertainment. Some of his producing credits include the box office record-breaking hit Twilight and the hit film Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. So without further ado, here's Laura and Brent. Thank you both for being on. Laura Lewis, welcome back to the show. So excited to be back. Brent Emery, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm really stoked to speak to you guys 
for a variety of reasons. But one of the main reasons is that, you know, in light of the current state of our industry, I think there's a lot of questions, of course, a lot of uncertainty, and none of us really have the solution or the answers. But I think we're all putting a lot of energy as good producers do working towards a conversation and a dialogue of how we can find solutions. And I read the IndieWire article you guys put out recently and really talking about the difference between independent producers and how we are not a part of the AMPTP and how there's a lot of confusion, even within the industry, let me figure out outside the industry, but within the industry, how there's still a lot of lack of clarity of where, where we fit into the conversation and the narrative. And so I wanted to invite you guys on to, to just kind of dive deeper into this article and where we are and how we kind of got here and where we could potentially go from here. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for coming on. <laughs> just all of that. First, I want to say something that you just click on a word that you just said. You said independent producers. And I just want to clarify that like no producers are at the table discussing, you know, because independent implies the people that are making films that aren't made by the studios or, you know, but none of this, even st- producers that have studio deals, none of us are at the table at these negotiations discussing what affects movies and television shows getting made moving forward. We don't have a say in in what's what's going, and we're the ones responsible for putting those projects together and pushing them forward. And we don't have a seat at the table. And I think that's why we got so fed up that every headline said writers versus producers, actors versus producers. That we wanted to do something to attempt to change that that narrative, both by how can we get that known in the press, um, which is what led to the IndieWire article, but also getting the petition going to remove the the P from AMPTP, um, which is a relic of an old era when the studios were the producers, you know, the, the, the mayors and the Walt Disney's, et cetera, they were the producers even more recently than that. But now they're not. Now we are independent hires that are middlemen between the creative side, the writers, directors, and the and the financiers and the studio heads. So I just wanted to like speak about that. It's all producers, not just independent producers. It's uh, so including the producers that have first looks at at studios and and television networks, et cetera. Exactly. I think in the same way that the industry has changed drastically in the last 20, 10 years for for talent, for pretty much everybody, the same applies to producers and the, the model of who is sort of in charge and leading the charge with these projects. And oftentimes, I mean, we talk about this agnosium on the show that the independent producer, it's like from the cradle to the grave, you're the person who on the independent side, you're arguably the most important role. You're at the epicenter of that project for its entire life. And yet, how do we get to a place where we've been left behind from the conversation? You know? It's mind boggling. I don't know who has the answer for that, but it's because we don't have collective bargaining. Yeah. You don't get left behind if you're forced to be bargained with every couple of years because you have a contract that they have to address, which addresses where you are in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. You know, streaming streaming wasn't addressed. Streaming was partially addressed in one, in the strike back in 2008, but now that's drastically changed. It's one that's led to why it's such a huge fight now. We don't have that opportunity. You know, we've been left behind by the fact that the business model has changed so drastically. There used to be back end. So producers, I mean, we didn't really need residuals because we got back end on, on when a movie or a television show performed. But now all those revenue streams have disappeared and we only get the upfront. And if it's successful, we don't really get anything either. You know, that's one of the big things that the writers and the actors are fighting about too is transparency to lead to better financial success, but we don't get that. On so many levels, not only what Laura said was 
do we know how to have a seat at the table? But then we are, as producers, legally and financially responsible for those deals. So if we make a movie, we have to buy by what was negotiated between the union, the current unions, typically WGA signing DGA, with the MPTP, let's just call them the alliance. On a set, if something happens legally, financially, they come after us, the producers. They try and make producers sign personal guarantees, even though we may not be the financier, we still, they try to put us on hook for these things after we've had no say in the conversation to create these deals. And we all support these deals. We all support people being fair wage, being paid fair wages. We are just saying, we'd like to have minimums and a healthcare. We aren't even talking about residuals. We aren't even talking about pension. And we're just begging for scraps. Like we just want to be able to have a life in the right. business. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, those things are, are, I think also important to remember, not when we have a seat, but then we are the people responsible legally, financially. And on top of that, we did have, like the actually the, the Alliance back in the 70s, late 60s, actually did recognize the PGA as a bargaining group. It's a long court case. We won't delve into that. It's in the weeds, but that was overturned on appeal by the WGA. And then there was no possibility of a union because at the time it was sort of, a, you know, you are the employee and the employer. And like Laura said, that business model has entirely changed. And so once that changed and once we didn't have those protections, which we briefly did for a moment in time, we kept getting pushed back and back and back. Yeah, because now we're, we each fight individually when we negotiate our own contracts on every film, whether it's an independent film or a studio film, um, but, you know, TV too. Um, it's, it's individual. So you're fighting for yourself, but if you can collectively bargain, you're just going to get a better deal. So 100%. And also it, it, it's also sometimes hard to even know what is a fair deal because yeah. until you kind of get into it as a producer, you don't meet other people who are willing to show you under the hood and go, here's my deal. Here's how I made it happen for myself. So you are often already coming in at like w- with the, the least bargaining chips at the table yeah. because you have the passion. And if you're lucky enough to even have access to the copyright or the IP, then that can keep you on a project. But we all know horror stories of people who have devoted years and years of their lives, gotten the worst deal possible, and potentially even gotten kicked out of their project and not even getting to benefit in all the ways that one should. So No, I think it's important you, you say that too, because a studio that I've recently worked with when we were negotiating back ends literally said it had changed from Seattle is streaming without notifying us. We found accident out accidentally in a marketing meeting. I said, well, obviously we have to, you know, we have to make good at our deal. And the lawyer said to us, literally, your back end's worthless anyways. So why? That should say anything about <laughs> where we currently are and why we're sort of, you know, why we're fighting for the things we need to fight for. It seems it's okay that the producer is the first person to defer fees in any scenario to try and get a movie made. And it's okay to give someone and tell them to their face from their lawyers, you're back in service. So, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg of why we're, we're, we're fighting or pushing. But, you know, that, that should say a lot about the state of the industry. Yeah, I mean, it's really no longer sustainable for anybody. But certainly, I think the thing that really grinds my gears is that oftentimes, you know, the, the independent producer has been essentially like a, a talent scout for the major leagues, right? We've been the ones taking the chance and investing and developing artists out of film festivals. And then when they get enough visibility, the big leagues come back and pluck them from obscurity and give them a Marvel movie and they get to ride off to the sunset 
And we're left behind waving, going, remember us? You know, hope I run into you one day. And it's not a model that's sustainable. And it does make me wonder how anyone who's entering the business now, who still has ambitions to be an independent producer, how they're navigating that reality. Because I've I've been at this for 17 years, you know, and so I had the good fortune to come up when things were very different before YouTube existed, not to age myself, (laughs) you know, and and even to be a part of the streaming boom when things were like, exciting and there was a a sense of possibility that especially for independent film like wow you could really get something made that was cool for a certain budget and then that bubble really quickly burst and now we're sort of in this all reality of this sci-fi film it feels like we're living in um the upside down where we just blinked and i think the pandemic seems to have really sped this up right with how it really showed us the theatrical model was yeah It accelerated accelerated streaming streaming too. And accelerated, I think, the illusion that the streaming model was actually sustainable. (laughs) So yeah, that that bubble burst, I think, sooner than all of because before COVID, you know, it was like streaming wars. It was uh content was selling like hotcakes. (laughs) You know, everybody was an hour. It bust the bubble, I think, sooner than we thought it was. I don't think any of us thought it was gonna last forever. This sort of like the 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 sales side market, but it it went a lot faster, I think, than we thought it was. I mean, listen to the point you just made. And I think that's one of the other reasons we are starting to fight and starting to have these conversations is how will we, how will we grow, groom a next generation? How will we grow people that want to be producers? When we were, I think I can say for both Brett and myself, we're a little bit older than you are. Uh, You know, when we were, when we were starting out, like every producer had an overhead deal with Two, two senior VPs, two junior execs, and multiple assistants, and they were learning from their bosses. They were growing the farm team right there. And then those deals started getting cut with the, la- with the last big writer strike in 2008. Those deals started getting cut. And then now we ha- don't have that. And then if you say that you also, because now we're telling producers, you really just have to learn by doing. You have to learn by just going out and producing. <laughs> and and if you can't even make a living on those films, then yeah, I think we're all very worried about the future of this as a job and as a career. And also, we don't want it to be a career that only wealthy people can do because they're doing it sort of as a side hustle. Like, that's just not right. There's certain entry points into what gets made in our world. It's a writer writing and producers finding, you know, <laughs> and, and, and writer directors too. But like, we are the ones that scout and find the stories that get made like us and writers. And if we only have one point of view, making that entry point from that lane, that's really scary in terms of what will get made going forward. We're talking about producers, right? So I see um, yesterday, the day before, I think it was HuffPoke came out with an article about, you know, millennials and Gen Zers who are starting off and frightened about the state of the industry. And every single one of them was an actor, actor, writer, writer, director. There was not one producer of the six people or however many there were. That's also super telling, I think, should be concerning. Part of what I believe the Alliance is doing is purposely keeping that P for producer at the end as to confuse what a producer is and what a producer does. They have a vested interest not to allow us to unionize because if you look at TV, most of the fees are in producer fees, not the writing fee, which is fringed. The producer fees are not. So their their economic interest is making sure producing the unionized because if that happens, they stand to be on the hook for a ton of money in TV. But I think the, the sort of, I wouldn't say campaign, but I think the, the push from the alliance is to, again, confuse that. And if you look at the media, most of the news media 
has no idea the difference. And so I think we have to educate starting at, you know, the writers of the TV content of online content of news, you know, entertainment reporters around the world to educate on what a producer is and does and why it's important and integral to making a movie. So that when things like that come out, they're including producers. Right now, producers are just, I don't know what they do. They're left behind on every single level, not just in our industry, but people who are poor on it. My, my mother, sorry, mom, you still ask me what I do sometimes. <laughs> like, Send her this podcast. I have 80 conversations, at least with people talking about what producers do. <laughs> do you know that it will send, but it's, 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 we get left out of a lot of it, even though like Laura said, we are the often the inception. Most of our projects are homegrown in my company and coming to my ideas or scripts have been sent to us or cookbooks or whatever. We've founded them and developed material and then taken to market. And, um, not only will that disappear a lot of it, but they, like Laura said to you, there's one point of view. They have a very narrow point of view of who's sort of in the points of these movies. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's scary, but it's not dire. I think it was what we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think just to back up a little bit to the Producers Guild, I know there was that, that lawsuit in 1974, and I'm not a lawyer to understand why, with how much the industry has evolved, why the PGA hasn't attempted to rejigger what they do in some way. I think because maybe now they're a nonprofit and perhaps they can't legally, they'd have to form a whole new legal entity. I don't really know the nuances of it, but I think that's the biggest question I get, even within the industry. It's it's mind-boggling to me the lack of awareness that people have that the PGA while there's the word guild in the middle is actually not a union on par with the DGA or the WGA, you know, and I have to explain this to so many people, it, it kind of blows my mind. Sometimes even assistants at, who work across different levels of the industry, but I'd be so curious as to why, if they were unsuccessful at one point, why is it that they perhaps have not been able to, to be recognized, I guess, in spite of other efforts now, or at least have a campaign that really decrees that they are not a union so that it's clearly defined. Yeah, that word, word guild is really hard being in there when that guild word is in every other <laughs> unions. Um, no, and every actor and writer that I've been out picketing with, they have no clue the PGA is not a collective bargaining organization. They have no clue we don't have healthcare. They have no, no clue we don't have residuals. And they also have no clue that when we fight so hard to get their project set up and get them paid, that we also then don't get paid. Like we don't get development fees either for the most part. Some people do, <laughs> like, but it's rare and it's hard to get, but you have to fight and it's so little. So yeah, that's one part of what you just asked. I honestly don't know why the PGA is not attempting to join this fight and and fight what happened. I don't know, Brent, you've been more involved in those conversations recently than I have. On also on the, a member of the Indian Task Force of PGA. And so while not speaking on behalf of the PGA, I think the focus has been from top down, we'll never be a union because of the consent decree in, in you know the seventies. Because of that, why try and fight that when we you know their I believe their opinion is the WGA would never back off the consent decree and they were the people sort of bringing the suit. Um, so why try and fight it when they're never going to back you? One. And then two, you know, I, I actually talked to the outgoing uh, assistant AG for antitrust because he, he under his domain, he overturned the consent decree, the, the paramount the consent decree, right? So that distributors can now own exhibitors before they've been pr prohibited. And he had an interesting point of view in that because it wasn't the government, it wasn't U.S. versus the PGA, it was actually the Writers Guild on behalf of a member, that even though he thinks whichever administration comes in next is going to seriously look at 
you know, regulating Hollywood because it's clearly broken. He thought that the only path would be to go after, go to the writers' guild and say, hey, it's in your best interest. Here's why to drop these things, even though they couldn't prevent the PGA from going and pursuing the dropping of that consent decree. He said that would be the fastest way. And so I think if there's, you know, really high level um, feeling that the, that the PGA, that the WGA will never do that, I think that's probably one course of it. It's one reasoning. Um, I also think just from the co-members on the Indy Task Force with me, uh, a lot of them are like, yes, a lot, one, a lot of them are, are members of the producers union, but two, some of the members there are focusing on, we're just going to go after healthcare. We're just going to push healthcare and push everything into that right now and see the contraction from a legal standpoint or a, you know, human moral standpoint that some of these students will eventually give us healthcare. And so I think that while the goals are the same, they're coming at from different points. I think the producer union, we see a very, you know, plausible reason, many reasons we should have collective bargaining. At the end of the day, I think they're just factors that the PGA uh, upper executives just having been through this for decades, trying to figure this out, don't believe it's a a goal or active strategy. I think they just want to get something practical done for the members so they can opt into healthcare hopefully soon. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, that that decree was 40 years ago almost. I mean, I just wonder, I don't know, do I need to talk to a lawyer? <laughs> like, do some of these things expire? Is there many, many of us wonder because they do have the numbers, like, you know, they have 8,000 plus members. They have the numbers. Well, they have the, they have the visibility, right? They have the visibility, more importantly, like people know the name PGA, even though they don't understand exactly what they do. And when you become a producer and you finally get into the PGA, you go, oh, okay got it it's not what i thought it was either like and not, not in a bad way not in a bad <laughs> way but like the perception of what it means i think there's a big conversation around yeah rebranding what producers actually do in today's day and age and the perception of what we do or who we are mm-hmm. and who who is actually controlling this narrative and, and the why right i think and I, I i'm happy that i get to have this platform to at least hope hopefully demystify it a little bit at a time and chink away at it because it's, it, it's taking, we're trying to take down a huge mountain and a infrastructure and a perspective that has been there for a long time. But I think by talking about it, we can hopefully reach more people to get them to understand and, and see the light that like, this is, this is not what they think it is. It's actually not what it is. And we're here to help them bring that clarity to it. What you're saying there is also just one of our goals with the producers union. Like, yes, we want to, we we formed this union and thank you to Rebecca Green and Chris Moore for years ago, figuring out a way for producers to unionize and doing all that legwork with labor lawyers, et cetera. But like, you know, one of our goals is to advocate on behalf of, to make more people aware of this because so many people aren't as we're discussing, but also we need somebody talking to the other unions, talking to the DGA, talking to the WGA. How can we work together towards our mutual goals and then talking to the PGA too. I mean, maybe the producers union's role will end up being helping that happen within the PGA. We don't know. Like we, we have to fight for us if we want this to, to exist. And we're pursuing any, any and multiple paths to, to, to achieving that. But right now we haven't had anyone speaking on behalf of producers in this capacity. So that's why we're trying to take that mantle. Absolutely. And thank you for, you know, leading the charge there. You know, all of it matters. All of it is moving us towards the same goal. 
Um, I'd love for you guys to just talk a little bit more about the producers union. Um, obviously, you just talked a little bit about Rebecca and Chris Moore and and it's starting like it's good entry. entry yeah. You know, <laughs> I know you guys are like 300 members strong, like yeah. for people listening, tell them about what it is, how they can join, at what point they can join, what are some of the benefits of joining at this moment in time? Well, you can join by going to producersunion.org. Right now we are, and listen, there's been a lot of questions about this, but right now we are only open to feature film producers, um, narrative feature film producers. And that's simply because we need to start somewhere and to come up with a basic agreement that covers all the different types of producers. We wanted to get the buy-in first before we expand, though that is a very big goal to expand very quickly to both TV producers and documentary producers and line producers. But right now, in order to join, you need to be a narrative feature film producer. So I'll just say that. And why now? It's because we're not in these conversations. Like, Like literally... If if this moment in time is not showing how needed a union is on behalf of producers, I mean, every day uh, for the last, I don't know, six, seven months, because we all knew the strikes were coming, I've been talking to producers, we all have, about the fact that, yes, we believe in what the writers and the actors are fighting for, but it's so also demoralizing knowing that we won't benefit from any of what's happened over the last five months. None of it's going to help us. And we just feel more and more and more left behind in these in these conversations. So if we don't have somebody muscling us into those conversations and demanding the respect that we do deserve, then it's just going to continue on that slippery slope down. We are at a precipice and an existential moment in the entertainment industry overall. Um, I think we're all seeing that from the CEOs down to <laughs> to down to all of us. And we want to be part of those conversations. We want to keep doing what we love to do which is telling stories. We do believe in the power and going back to the hopeful side of things. The world loves stories. The world, I mean, if we haven't seen that with box office booming this summer and we we want to be telling these stories and the world wants to see them, we just need to make it a viable business for everybody. So yeah, that, that's why people should join and why now. I'll obviously link all of this in the show notes, but there's also, I really encourage everybody to, to check out the petition, the change.org petition that I'll link here to essentially remove the second P from the AMPTP because it is misleading and no longer an accurate portrait of where we are as an industry. Um, I think you guys are vying for 2,500 signatures and you're almost there. Yeah. And on that front, because we've had a lot of questions about like what next we are. I mean, listen, we don't know if they'll listen or not, but we're hoping if we have enough numbers, they will listen. Um, we do plan on sending that to the MPTP and hoping they'll respond and staying on them until they respond. Don't know if they'll do anything, but that's... And what's the best case scenario if they respond? Like, what's the dream response? The dream is that they replace that that P with a, I don't know, C, companies. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like we just want the pr- word producers gone because it's it's not accurate. The the studio, the who they represent are not the people that are on the film sets working with the directors, working with the writers, overseeing. You know, they're not the producers. So that's that's literally the goal. I mean, yes, it's it's something small, but it's meaningful in terms of recognizing our role in this industry. It's correcting the narrative too, in terms of they're trying to push. Right, we aren't uh, a part conversation, but we aren't part of the job. You know, that's, that's a fact what you're saying is that not only can not be part of the conversation, you're just a tool in this con. You have no say and you've got no power. So I think that is more. And than you simple. do all the work. And take the responsibility. <laughs>
I mean, the WJ literally has on their website, producers are considered representatives of strut companies. Like those are the exact words. And I, I mean, it's emblazoned on my brain. Cause so I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't have an overhead deal with a strut company. I don't, <laughs> they're not paying my bills. In fact, they treat us worse than they treat yeah. the writers. So, uh, we just need to skip that separation. Listen, we we want to work with them. We want to sell them our projects, and we but right. And we have a lot of friends who are in those companies. You know, we talk daily. Um, they are caught. Oh yeah. I'll tell you mm-hmm. the people we had in our last movie or a, a couple of movies ago. Like, sorry, we'd love to give the feedback and data. We just can't. And you know that's <laughs> demoralizing on the nth degree, right? You've worked so hard. I think that movie was like eight years in the making, something like that. And then, you know, I guess it does well. We'll never know. And so I think those are the other things, too, that we're fighting for because, you know, obviously, if you don't have transparency, then no one can calculate residuals properly. Um, no one can calculate, you know, a lot of things. But, you know, your next deal, and I think you talked about sharing data, right? That the, the more we can understand that, most of the times our, our deals are, you know, non-presidential, confidential basis, which you know, effectively amounts to sort of a, an NDA. Right. And so I think one of the goals, too, is we really need to start gathering data on who has gotten what and what deals. For so long, studios and these conglomerates have pushed us to fight each other. I think Chris Moore, he may say reluctantly, coined the phrase of a producer and producer crime. We were literally like, here's a here's a piece of meat. You guys go figure it out. And for so long, that was how they have pushed producers to compete against each other. And it's worked <laughs> in terms of us being in a worse position. So I think now if we can all start sharing data and, you know, carefully and safely and making sure we aren't breaking our, our deals we've signed about not sharing information. Mm-hmm. But I do think they're standing now, again, not being a lawyer, to, you know, it's effectively a, an NDA and they're not really enforceable, you know, if they are proven to be discriminatory in the state of California where most of these deals are done. I do think they're discriminatory because, like you said, it leaves us with less information to make a good deal. Right. You know, hopefully those things can work hand in hand. And the more information we have, I think if we can collect a lot of this information, the producer union, we can then also go and say, hey, we know you have healthcare here, 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 and need all these companies and all these movies. You can't say you don't do it. You can't say it's breaking precedent. You've offered it here. You need to make a you need to make us a deal with healthcare. That's the least. Everybody else on set gets it except for us. Correct. Those are a couple of things I think we can do in addition to the petition, getting some movement, getting some notice, and then also hopefully removing that and getting data transparency to fight those things. It seems like the the lack of transparency with the data is is obviously it's like a power move, right? But it's the only way that they can keep Hollywood unbalanced and unfair, which it is. Because if they were able to share this data and you were to actually make deals that are in on par with with the success of said show or whatever, you know, I think there would actually be a system, a, a regulation of like, here's the metrics and here's the bumps. And here's like, if you don't hit this, this doesn't have like the trigger points, right? Like all of that would be clear and fair and a Google, like a document that we could all find and, and actually point to of how you elevate yourself in this, in this career. And it seems like by keeping that information, they can then say, well, we had to pay $10 million because she brings tremendous value, but what if she no longer does, you know? And it's just about like that person making a deal with the other agent because that's just their homie. I think there's so much of this just like insider sort of I, I don't even I don't want to call it inside trading, but there's this just a lot of like people just wanting to help out their friends and keep the same people employed and, and thriving that they have always been. 
And perhaps if you had the transparency of the data, it would be undeniable, right? That then you would have to treat everybody a little bit more fairly and nobody wants to be responsible. No, and that on the film side, we always for so long, you know, relied on the Monday morning box office, you know, like everyone's deals was tied to how variety reported and that that was how you determined your box office bonuses. You had clear transparency in how much money it was getting ma- made. So you know how the waterfall is going to flow. It affected your deal making, but it often and and same with television with Nielsen ratings, uh, which affected advertising money, which then affects how much money goes into each show, which again affects the waterfall. It was so clear with those two models, and they've effectively figured out with streaming how to wipe that out. So we have no clue what to negotiate for because when you have no information. I'm always wondering with the advertising happening on on the streaming platforms, like where is that money going? Like, is that not hitting my back end? <laughs> you know, like so because we don't get you know accounting reports of of television shows or streaming to know what like I get on my theatrical films. We get accounting statements, you know, and it's crazy. But also, aside from the financial effects, it's creatively stifling too. We have no clue what's actually working. How are we going to know what? to put together to sell to someone like, and that's our job too. And that actually helps them. Like who, who should, what types of genres are people responding to? Like what actors are they responding to? What directors? Like, you know, like it's, it's crazy. Help us help you. Like, please. Yes. I was just going to say that's literally help us help you. Now we're just like throwing spaghetti against the wall. Yeah. It's like this constant puzzle. And it feels like if you were the unicorn who just figures out some magical formula that you could never replicate again, by the way, that it's a product of like tectonic plates shifting at the right moment in time, like you're revered, but then of course you're not going to be able to live up to that again. So it just, yeah, it seems like you, you're always backed into a corner and there's no easy way to get out of it. No, and, and especially when you have executives who, again, a lot of our friends who have, you know, just shy of 100 movies to oversee. How on earth can any one person effectively manage that sort of caseload, right? Oh, hey, yeah, that performed well. You should go out and, you know, go look for it. They don't have time for that. They barely have time to sit down and have a conversation. Right. And so I think a lot of that goes to, and then another thing on top of that is like, because it's, it's the volume is so massive. Um, I, coffee with a f- mutual friend of ours a streamer last week and they were, they were talking about can kind of breathe right now kind of but knowing that the backlog is going to be worse than covid after the strike is over and, and how to manage that properly because we want to treat everyone's submission as it's the most important thing it is the people to are submitting it but what they're missing is again i think they're the devaluing producers and that credible producers could go off with a negative pickup deal and make a, movie, a 20 million dollar movie probably for 15 or more or less we can make these movies with the same quality. And again, we're taking legal and financial responsibility, but at a lower price point for them, then they can make it and then deliver it back to them where they can then market it hopefully properly and put their energies there. I think that's a big thing that, you know, should be discussed right now in terms of producing independent producers. There are many, many, many credible producers who can make a movie as a negative pickup and not have to worry about the the, the creative, uh, the quality level of it. And I think that's something we should also be talking about because these studios, again, they're crying about their budgets. We have a solution. Hire a credible producer who do have negative pickup and we'll bring you back to the movie, same quality, left price. And also, not you don't need to employ a whole staff of production executives who oftentimes don't really know how to make things. Well, well often, 
have a whole staff. That's the problem. Oftentimes they've got very few people. Um, and that's even worse, right? When you're stuck on a production of the studio, you need, you need someone to help. And they don't have that person or they aren't, you know, senior enough or haven't experienced it. Um, that's also tough. So I, I think there are, again, these are, these are areas where we can um, push this near this conversation about why aren't we attacking these things? If you're crying because you have too much to do, the budgets cost too much, the unions are doing this and that, but we have a solution. Hire a couple producer. We can make it for less money and then you can't and giving it back to you after the strike's over. Like, not a, it's, it's not difficult. It's, it's just an ingrained scenario. We need to sort of move them off of or move them into a better understanding of why they should be doing these negative pickups. Yeah, it's like a collective conversation to save the future of our business is what really needs to happen among the people that are truly interested in preserving it. And well, not even preserving the things that have been working, but really understanding that we're constantly in the wild, wild west, we're constantly having to iterate and and improve. It's just the nature of what we do as as people who are creative in a creative industry that's always changing. And it, it is for people who can step into that and understand that you're constantly going to have to be in shift shifting always pivoting constantly and they've once you think you've arrived something new comes up and knocks you off center you know but i guess i'm curious okay so what do you guys think in terms of like strike outcomes right with the wga and and sag like what do you think is like for, for the independent producer what do you think is like the best case scenario of what could happen in this moment in time and what what do you think is like the worst case scenario Mm-hmm. like best case scenario it ends tomorrow <laughs> like, yeah or whatever tomorrow yes. after this podcast yeah well, mean, not just that it ends no no I know. yeah that it ends and that you know peeps get what they they need and what they deserve yes i want obviously we want everyone to have the the bumps that they deserve after this amount of time i mean the cost of living has gone up i mean especially in new york and la which is where the majority of the actors and writers are represented and us too um so yeah, yeah, the cost of living months. But honestly, I mean, I really do hope that they get wins in data transparency, as we were discussing, because those do help everyone, not just uh, them. I mean, we want them to get the things to help them too, but there's certain things that can help all of us. And my lawyer once said to me, the WGA is the battering ram for the rest of the industry. And I want them to batter that. <laughs> I want them to ram, ram it open <laughs> for us because that is truly what we need. I mean, listen, none of us know what we're going to find on the other side. And I think that's why they're fighting so hard to keep it closed. And I know there's been various articles discussing this too. I mean, we could get to the other side and find out no one's watching, or we could find out that like only one thing's getting watched and right now. And that obviously will affect company stock prices and that will affect everyone's livelihoods. But I'd rather know that than not. That's the best outcome, you know, and the worst is that we don't get that because that really to me, the biggest thing on the line has been the da- the data. AI is important too for writers and for actors. And uh, I talked to a number of producers. We don't quite see how AI could replace us because we do so many different things. Um, I'm sure that I'm just not smart enough to see how it could replace us. But uh, for producers, I really think I'm hoping that they get some wins in data transparency. So yeah, I think I think you know, obviously, worst case is it goes on yeah. past the new year, which it could. I mean, I we got to a mutual friend who a studio said make a budget for February, you know, starting. And so you just don't know um, what's going to go happen. But, you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's not just obviously us. It's also the crews. Like yeah. all of these people who work so hard and bust their butts on our sets, working with and for us, 
you know, they're not crossing picket lines and they are on strike. Teamsters, I see, I mean, you name it. It's really hurting a lot of people in a horrible, horrible way. So the faster that can happen, the better. You know, I do think there's a potential of an IOTC and Teamster issue, labor issue next year, probably, I think, end of Q1, beginning of Q2, something like that, which would also cripple the industry. So, you know, I think beyond rights, I also think another best case would be that we have a global industry discussion about what's broken and how to fix it. Part of it is that the, the, the streamers, you know, their business model is continually fluid. <laughs> there's nothing fixed in it. And so things change on a dime. But I do think there are there are very clear ways where the industry can work and function better, you know, from studios on down. So I think some of those are coming through tech. I think there's some, you know, fintech applications that will probably be super helpful uh, in terms of collections, in terms of financing, because the data will be there. But I think, you know, the hubris of the film side has always been interesting to me is that poor kids and oh, nothing can touch us, Right. These things don't really affect film. It's always about TV or music. And when I worked in music, I remember Napster came out and I worked at a, a large music industry figures company and his assistant was downloading Napster and unplugged the computer. And everyone was like, it's not a big deal. It's just music. It's, that was just ones and zeros. And now it's reached us and everyone's panicking going, oh, oh, it does touch film. How do we? And no one has any plan. I don't believe the unions nor the studios or anybody had plans, contingencies for a strike. I think it's very obvious by being stuck in the queue of SAC. There, there really wasn't a plan and everyone's trying to battle sort of solution. So, uh, you know, I think that's also something that is stifling the industry right now in terms of, you know, that process and hurting people who need to work. It's also not an easy situation because it's a strike. Well, are you giving them more product or are you not? It's a very, very, very complex gray area <laughs> that hopefully... The upshot is it is more clear coming out of this. Yeah, and it, it also feels like one of the biggest labor fights of our times, not just in Hollywood, but it almost feels akin to what I imagine the industrial revolution, the shakes that it caused, and the, you know the, the the ripple effect that it caused all over the the country. But with so many other unions that are not even you know tangential to Hollywood, also being impacted by infla- inflation, cost of living, all of these things that have impacted the entire middle class, frankly, I feel like really this is a fight for blue collar Hollywood more than anything, because the 1% are always going to be fine, right? And so it just feels like if if I have this feeling like if the, the, the writers and the actors aren't able to come out the other side and get everything that they want, it doesn't give a lot of hope for all the other unions, because if the ones that are the most visible and are most, you know, as far as unions go, most like sexy and exciting. Like a lot of people in the world are watching, are curious what's happening and without even outside the industry, right? So mm-hmm. if we can't make significant impact and in, in forward momentum into getting the, the things that we're asking for um, to create a holistically better industry so that we can all benefit and thrive and just have a good quality of life, it's not anything crazy that most of us are asking for. Um, then then where does that leave other unions? I guess that, that question, it makes me wonder that. And not to say that, like, look at us, we're Hollywood, we set the tone for everything, but just because we are the loudest, right? We get the most press oftentimes because it's names and faces that people recognize. So, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, the, the middle class has been disappearing since the 80s. And that's a, around the country. I mean, I think that's the reason the positivity towards labor and towards unions is at its highest right now um, in terms yeah. of because there's been systems and laws and tax regulations that have been put in place that have squeezed and squeezed and squeezed uh, a middle class out of existence. And I think our industry is just a 
one example and a, and a very public one, as you just said, of sentiment around the country right now um, that we're just fed up with not being able to just be able to build a basic life where you can buy a house and you can you know, pay your bills and not have to worry about going bankrupt if you have a bad health accident. And it's just not our industry. It's it's every industry. So and I think that's why this strike is lasting longer than the one in 2008, because we're at a we're at a tipping point for so many things. And I don't think they are backing down. You know, they're like, no, we're not going to back down. Like (laughs) they being the, you know, SAG and and WJ this time, because I think they know how much is on the line here for people's uh, livelihoods moving forward. Yeah, and we'll see what happens with the auto workers. Like, I mean, everyone is pissed off. And, you know, there's, there's, it's all around the country for sure. Yeah, but it's you know, I think I think it goes to a larger issue over this pay disparity between the CEOs and the people who are working. You know, it's hard to cry poor and pay you know a CEO two hundred and fifty million dollars in a year, and when billions upon billions. And again, look, some of these companies, Apple, Amazon, it's a fraction of their business, right? It's a um, Amazon's probably a loss leader. <laughs> it's, pretty- it's probably a, a rounding <laughs> error for them. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, the companies that are in it day in, day out, like they're still making quite a bit of money. They're still making a ton of money. And the idea that as their sole business, they can't be more, more fair with people. Again, I think it goes to a larger issue in this country in terms of how we value people who help make your company go. Right. But CEO pay has also gone like this over the years yeah. versus the, the workers underneath them. Sorry, I'm like, like it's weird on yeah. Zoom. <laughs> so <Yeah>. to do craft <laughs> hands, craft hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I mean, uh, I know. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, time. <laughs> really weird time. It's a weird time, but I, I think there's hope too. There's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Going to the opportunity, at least we're all talking about it now. I can't remember a time that we talked this much that I talked to as much to other producers about the issues facing us. Uh, and, and that goes from like the s- newest producers up to the biggest studio producers. Like, you know, like yeah. we're all talking now, we're all sharing more and more information. We're all, you know, talking about our deals more. And that gives me hope. Like if we weren't acknowledging these problems, um, I'm just hoping that fire doesn't leave when these strikes are over and we can get back to business because that also happens. Too. Yeah, it's like, well, I need to pay my bills. So I'm going to take this and then I'm going to forget about the fight. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the hope. I mean, I hope it doesn't, it, you know, because we after COVID, there was a reckoning of values and integrity and all that kind of stuff. And now I think being hit with this, I hope that it, it we don't have amnesia and forget this and just go back to being deep in the in the in the weeds of the work, you know, that we all love so much and that we can actually really work towards creating an industry that's going to help us give it as much as we want to get from it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But with, with that, and on that note, like to end on a note of positivity, you know, how have you guys been using this time to perhaps fill your well creatively, whether as producers or as humans navigating this life what's keeping you kind of afloat keeping you excited i think i can answer the first one for both of us which are the sag in you know in in term agreements <laughs> it's kind of keeping us um you know i think you can't develop you can't do that but you can you know once you get those you package i think you know laura and i work on a couple of things together and i think we're always still you know with our independent financing truly independent financing right nothing comes from studios we're just putting those movies together so that either we get the interim agreements right away and we can go into production and or if the strike is over and we're ready to go 
you know, do, I do believe it's going to be a seller's market again for quite some, for, for a bit of time, but that's because it's going to, you know, we, there's going to be a bottleneck also. So there'll be a limited amount of talent that'll finance movies, director and cast. And we're all going to be scrapping for it again, like it was after COVID. But I think, you know, most of us independent producers have been putting together either the package we've already had prior to strikes and just putting, assembling the financing to be in place to go into production as soon as possible, or, you know, deep development, finding books, finding articles, creating our own ideas. I mean, I've been um, filling my creative well. I mean, I'm lucky there's a few scripts we have on the TV side where we control the scripts. So I can still at least be talking to, well, I was talking to actors before mid-July, then directors mm -hmm. we can still speak to. Um, as Brent said, a few movies that we're making truly independently so can still be working on the financing of those, which just, I love doing my job. So it's great to be able to, <laughs> to still do that. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully a little make it on the other side of it. And then, I mean, I've just, I've been reading a lot, reading a lot of books, reading a lot of plays. I love theater too. So I've also been going to a ton of theater just to build a creative well that way. So yeah, I mean, we love stories. We want to keep telling them and meeting the, and meeting the voices that we believe in and want to push forward. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's something else we can do during this time is watch and read and keep figuring out who we want to keep fighting for when we get to the other side of this. Bring our friends who are having movies come and um, bring them on and, and you know making sure there's awareness every bit helps especially when it comes to the streamer or this or wherever any little bit helps from rooting people on just saying like these are great movies go support them go see them in the theater if they're available there you know there, there are things to still see i think mean, that are coming out you can support good quality producers and actors and writers and directors and, and everyone else in the crew so i love it i'd like to end on one more thing which is going back to the producers union but for any producers listening who have not joined, please do. We cannot fight for us if we don't have the numbers and get involved in, in helping. It can't just be a few of us. We need all of us like boots on the ground fighting for our our jobs and our livelihoods. So please join. Second that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll link everything here so people can find it easily. We'll post on socials and tag and all the things to help spread the word. Thank you both so much for taking the time to come on and talk about this. It's so important. I mean, I could talk about it forever, but I don't want to like bore anybody to death. <laughs> but thank you for the podcast too, because it's, it, it is necessary. There's just not, there's so few people doing what you do and it's really appreciated. So keep at it, please. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Angle on Producers and I'll see you next week. Beijos.